Assist in preserving Nevada's waters for future generations by visiting loveenvwaters.com and following us on social media. This message funded by a grant through the Nevada Department of Transportation aired in cooperation with the Nevada Broadcaster Association and this station. Yo! Sorry, man. I took an upper to stay awake. My heart started pounding, so I took a downer to take the edge off. Honestly, I feel worse now. What? One of my friends overdosed after mixing drugs like that. I don't want that to happen to you. Yeah, I definitely won't be doing that again. Well, let's stay online for a bit so I know you're okay. Yeah, man. But let's go. There is no safe way to mix drugs. Learn more at cdc.gov slash stop overdose. This is a St. Jude moment. Ashton was a high-level athlete, and in a, an instant, your world flips, and your healthy five-year-old competitive cheerleader has a brain tumor. And the physician was like, your best option is St. Jude. Receiving treatment that was life-saving for our child and knowing that that treatment would be of no cost to us was a huge weight lifted. Learn more at stjude.org. This is Live and Local with Kevin Wall on AM 670 KMZQ. Talk radio done right. So good to have you with us on this Thursday edition of Live and Local. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking with Marcos Lopez. Uh, and and one of, one of the bills that we're going to talk about is the baby bonds program. Um, it's AB twenty eight, Assembly Bill twenty eight. Um, I, I, I'm going to tell you um, one of the one of the things we've talked about with all this money floating around our, our state government, and we we've talked a lot about how uh, we're going to be spending money on programs that we're creating. But is that money going to be there two or three three years down the road? And the and the answer is no, it's not. What what is happening is um, we are creating programs that are going to have to be funded in the out years, but we don't have the funding for it right now, do we? Uh, one of the things we talked about in the last session was you know when we had a lot of Biden bucks that were that was uh, floating through our our government. And that is that we should spend money on items that are one- and two-year programs. They will not have a lifespan beyond that. Because if you keep the program, you're going to have to keep funding the program. But we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's a baby bonds program. It's uh, AB28. And it's one, of those, it's one of those programs that I think... Uh, is going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Uh, by the way, by the way, uh, the education bill, um, Nevada Policy Research Institute is uh, opposing, and, and there there are a whole a whole bunch of those bills that deal with education. We are we are on the cusp of spending two billion dollars, new money, on education. Two billion dollars on education. And the big question is, what do we do with these programs, and how do we sunset them? That's 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 one of the real problems. How do we sunset? How how do we pull the plug on programs that are not working? For instance, the governor in his state of the state said, 
we're, we're, we're going to give you $2 billion, but at the end of two years, if these programs aren't working, I'm going to be coming right back here and, my words, not his, kind of blow the whole thing up. Stay with us. More to do as we continue. Marcos Lopez joins us as we continue on AM 670 KMZQ, where news is next. A few years ago, a friend invited me for an evening of fun at Ichabod's Lounge. Now, Ichabod's isn't in my neighborhood, and yeah, I had to drive an extra 10 minutes. Boy, am I glad I did. What I didn't know at the time was that Ichabod's had been there for over three decades and family-owned for over 20 years. It's one of the top gaming bars in Las Vegas with the best promotions and amazing monthly cash giveaways and payouts. And I love their food. Ichabod features incredible menu items, including seafood, steaks, burgers, pastas, and five daily specials. And their kitchen is open 24 hours a day for you late-night foodies. What do I like best about Ichabod's? Their old-school Vegas atmosphere. Their bartenders and servers are super friendly. When everyone else is cutting back, Ichabod's continues to super serve its customers. And you'll love their nightly entertainment at the piano bar. You want to win? Then I'll see you at Ichabod's Vintage Vegas Dining Gaming Lounge and Piano Bar on East Flamingo at Pecos. Live from the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa Studios. From the world-famous Las Vegas Strip. AM 670 KMCQ, Las Vegas. Locally owned and operated by Kemp Broadcasting and Digital Outdoor. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters reporting. The foreperson of a special grand jury in Georgia is talking publicly, and former President Trump's lawyers are reacting. Correspondent Rita Foley reports. Former President Trump's lawyers in Georgia are criticizing the Fulton County investigation into potential illegal election meddling after the foreperson of the special grand jury went public. In media interviews, Emily Coors described how some witnesses behaved how prosecutors interacted with witnesses, and how some witnesses chose not to answer certain questions. Coors sometimes laughed or made faces during her interviews. Trump lawyer Drew Findling said, It's not a joking matter. It's not a matter for giggles. He called Coors a product of a circus that cloaked itself as a special purpose grand jury. I'm Rita Foley. There's growing speculation that Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina will be announcing a run for the GOP presidential nomination. One of his latest moves in that direction, a campaign-style rally in Iowa. Scott, advocating for what he labels a new American sunrise, takes aim at President Biden and the Democrats for a far-left ideology that he refers to as a blueprint to ruin America. Scott says he sees 330 million Americans getting back to celebrating our shared blessings again and tolerating our differences. Rich Thomason reporting. Winter storms are sowing more chaos across the U.S. The weather shut down much of Portland after the city experienced its second snowiest day in history and paralyzed travel from parts of the Pacific coast all the way to the northern plains. The nearly 11 inches of snow that fell in Portland stalled traffic during the Wednesday evening rush hour and trapped drivers on freeways. Some spent the night in their vehicles or abandoned them altogether. On Wall Street, that up by 108 points. More at townhall.com.
And it's Prager here, Sue and I mean it. Dogs are part of our family. We love Otto and Snoopy so much, there's nothing quite like their loyal companionship. So we provide them with rough greens. In fact, I just talked to my wife about it because we want them to be healthy and we want them to be with us as long as possible. That's true. I know Sebastian Gorka feels the same way. The Pragers and I couldn't agree more. Our pups, Killian and Leia, rely on us to provide what's best for them. And naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black has packed rough greens for full of vitamins, minerals, digestive enzymes, omega oils, and more that supplement their food in a way that has shown us great results. Trying out Rough Greens is an easy yes, recommended by me, Dr. G. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black here, and I'm so proud that the Pragers and Sebastian Gorka have entrusted their dog's health to Rough Greens. I'm so confident that Rough Greens can help your dog. I'm offering you a free Jumpstart trial bag. Just cover the shipping. Yes, your dog's food is dead food, but you can bring it back to life with Rough Greens. Go to If you owe back taxes to the IRS, you haven't filed your taxes in a while, or you have a lien against you or your business, there is hope. Hey, Kevin Wall here. Whether you've been audited or face any number of other tax issues, turn to my friends at New Hope Tax Defense. Many people are so glad they did, like Maria. I was desperate, and New Hope Tax Defense helped me resolve all my tax issues gave me hope. Don't lose any more sleep. New Hope Tax Defense has helped doctors, attorneys, and many others reduce their tax debt and get their business back on track. New Hope is not a call center. When you call, you'll speak directly with one of their tax professionals right here in Las Vegas. They aim to resolve your issues, not put you on a payment plan that could take a lifetime to pay off. Call New Hope Tax Defense, 702-483-0220. That's 702-483-0220. Or check them out at newhopetaxdefense.com. Call right now, 702-483-0220. It's 204. This is your KMZQ News Flash. I'm Jim Dallas. If you want a glass of water when eating at a local restaurant, you may soon have to ask for it. Assembly Bill 186 would prohibit restaurants from automatically giving water to customers. The bill sponsor, Assemblywoman Heidi Kasama, says every little bit helps to deal with Nevada's ongoing drought. Not immediately serving water is already the norm for most restaurants here in southern Nevada. More than 20 years ago, the Southern Nevada Water Authority and the Nevada Restaurant Association created its Water Upon Request program, a program which has hundreds participating in that supports water conservation by serving water only upon request. With runners taking to the streets of Las Vegas this weekend for the Rock and Roll Marathon, do expect road closures. There are more than three races, a 5K run Saturday downtown, with a 10K and a half marathon Sunday on Las Vegas Boulevard in downtown. Saturday's road closures are going to be downtown Las Vegas for the 5K. Sunday's 10K and half marathon will mean widespread road closures with portions of Las Vegas Boulevard shut down to traffic for much of the day, beginning as early as 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. So heed the signs and beware of those orange cones. KMZQ on-time traffic is powered by Meineke Car Care Centers. Right now, get a basic oil change for only $29.95. Meineke, doing car care right. Look out for that stalled sedan there on Interstate 15 southbound at Oki. It's only about a foot away from the slow lane there on Interstate 15 southbound. Also, do expect some slow flows through that construction zone on Interstate 15 southbound, mainly between Flamingo and Tropicana. 
Mr. President, it's time to get to work. Surely we both agree that the national debt is too high. Surely we both agree that inflation hurts American families. Surely we can trim waste and streamline programs to make them both stronger and more efficient. Congressional Republicans are ready to act to save our country and to make America stronger. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Wall. Hour number three, live and local for a Thursday, and uh, I've got tickets to uh, Jimmy Buffett live in concert at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, March 11th. I've got tickets to give away before the end of this hour, so stay right where you are. We'll tell you how you can win uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, want to welcome back in uh, Marcos Lopez. He is the Outreach and Coalitions Director for NPRI, that's Nevada Policy Research Institute, and he joins us now. Marcos, first of all, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you got a major event coming up tomorrow uh, that we'll tell everybody about. Uh, this is going to be a legislative uh, update, if you will, as we're closing in on three weeks. This is week three of the Nevada legislature. Marcos, how you been, my friend? Doing well. Um, and yeah, we have a great event coming up tomorrow. We'll have legislators uh, we'll have very knowledgeable people such as Aaron Phillips and Power to Pair, and we'll have Assembly Minority Leader Pete K. O'Neill. We'll have State Senator Robin Titus on there. We'll be touching a wide range of issues, but mainly it's kind of catch up on the last three weeks of the legislative session uh, and have a, an idea of what the next 13 weeks will look like. Without a spoiler alert, uh, what have we seen so far from this 82nd Nevada legislature over the course of, of what is almost the first three weeks? What what have we seen? Is is anything getting done? There are very minor things I've done. No major legislation has been passed. But I think the first three weeks have revealed, A, um, Republicans are still facing a hard time when getting their bills heard. This is something I'm hearing across the board um, the Democrats are playing hardball back um, to any potential threat of a veto that the uh, Republican Governor Lombardo might bring forward. Uh, so it is a hard time for if you're a Republican legislator to get a bill heard. Uh, the second item is education is top of mind, still one of the top issues um, that everyone's discussing. I mean, there were calls this past week from CCEA trying to figure out that the uh, what, how the county will be spending here in Clark County. Uh, the $2 billion are a promised increase into the Lombardo budget, as well as uh, yesterday, uh, Democratic leadership came out and demanded a plan from all the superintendents in the state, including the state superintendent, how they would spend these $2 billion in the next 30 days. They want these reports from them. Um, so everyone's talking about there's going to be an increase of money to education, but everyone's asking for accountability. So I see that there's a lot of positioning being done by Democrats that they don't want to be outflanked. Uh, by the Republican leadership and Republican governor uh, on a lot of crucial areas from education accountability all the way to uh, occupational licensing reform. Marcos, are, are, are we getting a sense from the governor and from his people, the people around him, uh, that there is a governor's plan, a governor's education plan, or is this something that he's going to lay off on, on the, uh, the teacher unions and the Democrats? So from the discussions I've had with his legislative staff, 
who are wonderful people, by the way, they've told me uh, that they are in communications regularly with the education committees. They're in regular discussion with the unions, with the superintendents. Um, so it seems definitely that they have a seat at the table and they're helping steer this conversation of what this looks like. Um, so I think everyone will be looking forward to these reports um, coming here in 30 days of how the districts will spend these new $2 billion. And of course, everyone has their own reasons for what they're looking for, right? The unions obviously want to look at how they're going to spend it because they want more money for teacher salaries. They want to hire more teachers. Um, the Republicans are curious because they want to see if is this money actually be reaching the classrooms and how uh, students are receiving the instruction. Um, so everyone has their own reasons. But at the end of the day, when this reports get filed here in 30 days, uh, everyone's going to be diving into the numbers to see what is planned uh, by the superintendents. Now, I know that uh, there was an initial thought that what this was was an audit of every school district in 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 the state. And I guess my question is, is that what this really is, or is it just taking a look at, at uh, information that's already out there uh, in the public sector? So there is there is going to be an audit. There is bills that have been introduced for regular audits of CCSD and um, other school districts of how they're spending the money. But these reports in particular that were announced in the last couple of days is uh, the legislators asking from the counties and the school districts how they plan to spend these new $2 billion that will be infused uh, into the education system. So it is. it does seem that those $2 billion will be coming and be approved by the money committees. So the question is, how are they going to be spending that money? Which, which I think is good to ask, right? Because then we have something objective to say, you said you were going to spend the money ideally in these areas. Why didn't this happen? Or is this really the best way to spend this money? Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of positioning and posturing going on. Um, so those reports are going to be look, uh, looked over with a fine comb. I want to ask you about one proposal that I, I found fascinating. Um, I don't know that I agree with it, but it, it is fascinating. The idea of uh, uh, AB 28, uh, Assembly Bill 28, the baby bonds program. Explain what that is and, and, and what, it, what it's intended to do. So the state treasurer, Conine, uh, presented this plan. This is the baby bonds program. It would be a new entitlement system. Um, basically, if a child is born into poverty, a bond uh, will be purchased uh, for them the day that they are born here in the state. There's a certain time requirement that they have to be living in the state for to be able to claim it. Um, but the idea is when that child turns 18, they will have access to a certain amount of money uh, that they are able to use for a wide range of issues which are listed out. Now, there's one other state that currently does this, and this is Connecticut. And Connecticut allows them to do it if they're going to use the money for home, uh, to start a business, to pay tuition. Uh, and that's pretty much what it limits it to. But the Nevada proposal is pretty wide open. Uh, it allows also for anything that might enhance personal capital. And that, that is such a broad uh, definition that it can include any sort of purchase um, for the individual. But uh, our main concern with this legislation um, is that it fails to target the most needy. If you're going to have an entitlement program to help alleviate poverty, uh, which you know goes first off ignores the question of whether we should even should have a redistributive program like that. Uh, but if you're going to have one, you have to make sure it's going to the most needy individuals and that there's a low chance of fraud and abuse. Our concerns is that if 48 of 
Nevada, 48% of Nevada households would be eligible for this program. It is clearly not narrowed and tailored to the most needy to begin with. And then secondly, Nevada is uniquely bad at being able to identify fraud. Uh, all Most entitlement programs are determined on what the reportable income was for that year to determine if you are still in that threshold um, and to be able to keep track of whether you need it. But Nevada, since we do not we do not keep track of income statements like other states due to income tax receipts, uh, it's very easy to game our system in some situations. And in fact, we have been identified by the Congressional Budget Office as the number one state for fraud and abuse and SNAP benefits. So it, it reasons that we, because we're uniquely bad at this, could lead to more fraud in the situation. Uh, but all this also ignores the fact that in a market capitalist economy like the one we have, the station that you are born in life is not necessarily the station you will end up in. So looking forward to 18 years, you can be in a completely different station of life in your family um, and giving you something that you might not necessarily need is a misuse of resources. I want to ask you, because uh, there are a number of bills that are out there uh, that are, in my view, just stupid. Uh, uh, the idea of uh, placing uh, uh, polling places in jails. Um, is that going to go anywhere? So that's an interesting one. I I first heard of this when I was speaking to Afar, who is the executive director for the ACLU here of Nevada, uh, and he was trying to sell me on this idea. Um, now, I mean, the concept is, is that if you're in jail, and this is not necessarily that you're in prison, uh, which is when you lose your right to vote if you're a felon, so that means you're in prison for over one year. Technically, you do not lose your right to vote while you're in a jail. Um, so the idea is to allow them some measure to vote and that they might be being disenfranchised. It's an interesting concept and an interesting idea. If there is something there, I think that's something that the courts need to kind of rule and decide and kind of determine what that would mean. Um, I don't know what the possibility of passage is. Yeah, I just, I see it. I mean, they can get absentee ballots, I imagine, the same way the military does. That could definitely be a solution to this. Um, and, and one of the reasons that I told him, like, you know, it, it would be kind of crazy to go down this path, but he was talking about letting them vote online. I'm like, we don't even want to open up the Pandora's box of putting our voting online where it could be hacked and tampered with. Um, and, and I told him, you know, if this is something that you're looking at, that is clearly a non-starter for many Republicans. Uh, I want to ask you about about one bill that uh, is just driving me nuts, and that's the fluorescent light bill. Uh, what do you know about it? And and uh, again, the 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 path to uh, to passage uh, for a bill like this. So this is actually being heard right now. Just stepped out of the committee. It hasn't. Uh, they haven't gotten to it yet, but this is the, the time that this hearing is going on actively. Um, it's being heard in growth and infrastructure. And the question ha- is, um, they're trying to ban fluorescent light bulbs and move everyone to LED. Uh, they cite that it's more cost effective, that the mercury is dangerous within the fluorescent light bulb, and it can lead to environmental issues. Um, and what we basically argue is they're they're not they're not incorrect in that, right? It is more cost effective. It is more efficient. Uh, fundamentally, this is an issue of consumer choice. Um, and consumers are already moving in that direction. The Department of Energy released last year an analysis of households and the majority and most of the electricity 
that people get indoor and their indoor lighting comes already from LED lights. People are moving in that direction already. Uh, so we shouldn't be arbitrarily just picking that as the winner in the market. Uh, we should be allowing the competition to continue. Individuals and consumers are smart enough to make the right decisions and make the best decision for their families. So that is the argument that we're making and why we're imposed of this is because we feel it is unneeded uh, to implement this ban. I want to ask you about bills that uh, NPRI uh, will be uh, lobbying for. Uh, I know you've got the, 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 the website, which is, is great. It's a great service. But there are specific bills that I know that uh, NPRI and other organizations like yours uh, are, are, are going to be uh, promoting, uh, lobbying for in some cases. Can you talk a little bit about uh, where some of those bills are, uh, who's the author, if, if, if you know, and what the, the likelihood of passage might be? So a few of the bills that we're keeping tabs on, unfortunately, have not been released yet. But one in particular that has great uh, opportunity to unleash an economic revolution uh, here in our state and really harness the power of new arrivals is Jeff Stone, Senator Jeff Stone's um, occupational licensing reform bill. It has not been released yet. They're still fine-tuning the language, from my understanding. Uh, But this would make it easier uh, for individuals who are moving into our state, and we're still one of the fastest-growing states in the nation, to be able to get right into the workforce and practice what they practice best. Um, so this means that if you're crossing the state line and you have been a bricklayer your whole career, uh, you'll be able to recognize the license that you are bringing over, whether it be from Arizona, California, Idaho, wherever you might be coming from. If you are licensed in that state and you're in good standing and you have, and they have comparable standards to the ones that we have, you do not have to start the process over again. This is just common sense. Uh, people do not lose their skills when they cross the border uh, into Nevada. So we have to make sure we're putting them in the best position to succeed because our economy needs it. We need doctors, we need lawyers, we need teachers, we need uh, construction and trade workers. Uh, this is a continually growing state and a continually growing city here in Las Vegas, uh, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. Other uh, legislation, opportunity scholarships, is something that we're keeping in tabs on. Um, that will be introduced by... Senate Minority Leader Heidi Ganser has not been released yet, but that will be a decent expansion to the program uh, that we're looking forward to. I want to ask you about a couple of bills, and I don't mean to uh, ambush you on these, but they're important bills. Uh, and uh, one of them from Greg Hafen uh, relative to uh, passing voter ID. Uh, the other one is Assembly Bill 89, uh, brought about by the entire Republican caucus. It would require E-Verify for all, all public works projects uh, here in the state of Nevada, and we've got a ton of those that are going up right now. Can you talk a little bit about those bills and the prospect for for passage? Yeah, certainly. So on the voter ID law, last time I spoke to Hayson, uh, he was fairly optimistic that uh, he might be able to score a hearing, but the chances are in reality is just the makeup of the legislative session is unlikely to come forward unless um, it's something that uh, the governor is willing to put sufficient pressure on and hold up other items to bring that forward to give it a hearing. It's just the assembly is such um, a bad position for the Republicans at this current juncture. They're in the super minority. Uh, they they literally have almost no power. Uh, anything that Democrats want to do in that chamber, they can move forward with, without uh, even having to consult them. So it, it's very unlikely that they get the 
a hearing for that bill, as well as with the E-Verify. There is a lot of public works, and there's a lot more money uh, that's going to be spent moving forward. Uh, but it's another one of those, and unfortunately, we'll probably not get a hearing this legislative session. Um, it's just, it's just un- unfortunately, the realities of the electoral results this past November when it comes to the Assembly. Again, Marcos Lopez joining us, Outreach and Coalitions Director for NPRI, Nevada Policy Research Institute. Uh, By the way, this hour, this special report from NPRI is brought to you by the Nevada Trucking Association. Paul Enos and all the good folks that get stuff from point A to point B. We love them, and thank you so much. Um, I want to ask you just in our final couple of minutes uh, what what the outlook is like uh, whether whether Republicans will stand together if and when the governor uh, wields his veto pen. What What is your sense, and are you hearing uh, any solidarity among Republicans as to uh, whether they will be able to stick together? So this is something I bring up, and I think I, I, the Senate caucus might be tired of me bringing it up, but I ask that question every single time I talk to one of them is, what is the vibe? within the great eight, uh, these eight Republican state senators. And as of right now, everything seems like they're going to hold together uh, and have until certain demands are met, including uh, opportunity scholarships and some of those items. Um, And I think a good evidence of that is recently there were two bills that were vetoed, that were brought up um, to for consideration. They were vetoed by the last governor. So, you know, these was terrible legislation that this elect vetoed it. Um, and they didn't even bring it to the floor because they knew, for kind of zero knew that there were eight Republicans who were going to stick together and not give her a vote. So rather than be humiliated by bringing this vote forward, that it was new, it was going to be doomed, uh, they just let the bill die on its own. Wow. Um, 